Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. All right, grab your Bibles, everybody. Open them to First Peter. And one of our global partners that is a part of PCC around the world, they're going to read the scriptures for us. And then we're going to hear from Pastor Carlos Davides. Most of you got the announcement that went out last week that Carlos, after 13 years, is moving up to Boise, Idaho with his family to be a lead pastor. Now, I want you to know that is a huge loss for us. It's a huge gain for the kingdom. But what I really want you to know is that Carlos and I have been processing this for months, literally, as we together stacked hands and just said, you know what, um, it's time. He felt the call to become a lead pastor, and I am just so grateful for the difference Carlos and Emily and their kids have made in the ministry of PCC. Uh, if he leaves before the shelter-in-place order is over, we've already told the church, I told him when I was given a recommendation for Carlos before he was hired, hey, he comes on one condition, he gets to come back here in the fall, and we celebrate him big time. So I promise you we'll have a chance to honor this family who deserves honor. All right, let's continue now in the Word. This morning we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-9, through 9, and also chapter 4, verses 7-10. through 10. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and He will grant you His blessing. First Peter 4, 7-10 The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift with this great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us online this morning. We are going to continue our look at 1 Peter and this idea of what it means to be exiles. Today, we're going to take a step into a pretty difficult conversation around suffering uh, as we follow up last week where we explored this, um, this word that we hold really carefully, submission. Uh, this book that we're studying, 1 Peter, it's a book in the New Testament. Uh, it's called an epistle. Uh, it means that it's literally a letter written by Peter. Uh, Peter was an apostle, uh, a follower of Jesus. Maybe a simpler way to say that is he was a friend of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He heard him speak and he knew him. He witnessed his miracles and he could validate his, uh, well, really the greatest miracle of all, his resurrection. Uh, we're essentially studying Peter's outgoing mail. So for audience, this letter is really to Christians who are living on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, and he's writing to them because they are on the margins of culture. These are Christians living under Roman rule. Uh, they're experiencing prejudice, persecution, and suffering. 
And so suffering is this theme that Peter is going to take really through all of his writings, but he's going to bring us back into in some way today. And he's going to write about it with a twinkle in his eye, not because uh, he doesn't understand suffering, uh, but because he sees a way in and through, maybe a way to bring understanding to suffering. Now I want to pause a minute because I'm overwhelmed when I think about this topic. Uh, with a thousand different lives uh, joining us right now, we'll spend the next few minutes together. I think about the word suffering and us. Uh, for me, for you, some of you are known to me. We're known to one another. Others of you uh, are not known to me. Yet we all come together and we have this one thing in common that we have experienced and will experience and continue to experience deep trials, deep pain, difficulty, and grief. Many of you have lost husbands, wives, parents. Some have even lost children. You walked through painful diagnoses and treatments together or maybe alone. You're in the midst of suffering right now as I say these words. And I can't even begin to fathom the tragedy and the difficulty and the grief that some of you are personally in. You're in the middle of it right now. None of us knows when suffering may hit us. None of us knows what lies ahead in the days in front of us. And so in light of that, I just kind of want to say that up front because it makes for a difficult welcome. Um, those are some hard things. And uh, right now you might even be tempted to say, I don't think I want to be part of this conversation any longer. And I just want to invite you and I want to encourage you to stay in with us. Let's stay in together because my prayer is that God will take his word over these next few minutes and he will gently apply it in a thousand places where it's most needed and that you'll find breath and rest and even hope in the depths of where you suffer or where you've suffered. And it's also that there will be room for us to be challenged. Uh, we can find suffering. Suffering can become our meaning, but we need to find meaning in our suffering. And Peter's going to invite us into that. So with those heavy words sitting with us right now in each of our rooms, uh, I'm going to give us a chance to breathe. We're going to listen to a song by an artist. Uh, take the song in. It's a few minutes long, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to open 1 Peter chapter 4. Blessed are the guilty who have nowhere to go 
for their hearts have a road to the kingdom of God and their souls are the songs of the kingdom of God and they will find a refuge for theirs is the kingdom of God Thanks for taking a moment and sitting in that song. I hope it was, uh, hope it was good for your heart. Uh, so we're going to continue. We're going to jump into 1 Peter chapter 4. And as we do, I want to in, invite you at any point this morning, if you have a question, if you would like prayer, to go ahead and ask for that in the online environment you're in. Just uh, uh, seek that out from one of our pastors. We would love to pray with you as we meet together this morning. And now, I want to say a word about suffering. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be this theme that's pulled through. And it's a challenging word because we may want to avoid it. But I want to put out there um, maybe a few statements. I'd like to say that suffering is under the control of God, even if it's not part of God's ideal world. And that God is working history to a good conclusion. But that does not mean that suffering in itself is good or that its agents are good, or that God wants us to suffer. Suffering may not be God's desire, uh, but I have to say, as we gather together this morning, and our challenging truth is, but it doesn't mean that it's outside of his purposes. So let's open 1 Peter chapter 4. It's, it's coming right after 1 Peter chapter 3, where Peter has finished challenging his friends to see submission as this way uh, to tell the story of God's goodness. And he's going to take us back now to a theme that he really never quite leaves through the whole book, and that's how then should we suffer? And I'm going to cover a small portion of chapter four. And there's so many great and difficult questions uh, that arise when you read the whole chapter. And uh, I hope you will read the whole chapter. And I hope you'll ask those questions. Um, one of the realities about exploring the Christian faith is it's done in community. We ask these questions together. We wrestle together. So I'm going to ask you a question right now. Uh, it's really what I think Peter poses to us and answers. And it's this. How then should we suffer? Take, take a, a few moments where you are and uh, think about that. Interact in the chat. But just what do you think? How then should we suffer? i 
It seems like the answer to that question is really important. So let's start in chapter four, verse one. Peter says these words, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. And Peter's then going to continue writing and he's going to describe sort of two worlds. One that is uh, shaped by this appetite and and really selfish desire. And it's a world that says you can have it all. Uh, It's a world where we destroy one another. Uh, It's a world where uh, take is well understood and want is something we all fear. And so Peter contrasts that world with this world where suffering is part of the way in and through. And it's, it's such a, they're so opposed to each other. And he, the way he sets it up is, it's just worth considering. And I want to say in that though, it's these first words that I want to consider. Since Christ, that's what he starts with. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude and we could probably overcomplicate this. When we think about our suffering, we think about how we handle difficulty. And uh, remember that this audience was really suffering because they were being persecuted uh, for what they believed. They were being punished for their beliefs. But the end result of all suffering is the same. I mean, suffering is full of pain and loss. And the end point of all suffering is death. And so Peter starts with something so discouraging In front of him, he says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Since Christ, I want to say that I believe Peter is saying, hey, friends, Jesus is with you. He is with you in the fire. He's with you in the storm. He's with you in the flood. He's with you in this moment. He's with you when the tears are uncontrollable and you feel like they're the only thing that proves you're still alive. And he's with you when you run out of them, when they're gone. And you're not sure you have a reason for living. He is with you in those depths. And then we can climb our way further up to just the difficulties and the loss and the hurt we all feel. He is with you. And I believe that Peter, when he begins by saying, since Christ, he's reminding these people. These were people who had never experienced Jesus as he lived. 
They encountered Jesus as the resurrected Lord, and their lives were turned upside down in every way, and it led to their punishment and them being outcast. And in that place, to those people, if it works for them, I think it, it meets us in our own loss and our own challenges since Jesus. When you suffer, if the internet goes out, Y2K, something happens right now, and we just lose all technology forever, just remember those words, since Jesus, because he is with you. And Peter holds that up. He's like, Jesus is with you. Consider how he suffered. And remember, Peter saw how Jesus suffered. Peter saw Jesus arrested, taken away. Peter saw Jesus beaten brutally. Peter knew that his best friend had died. He's not speaking about since Jesus suffered as some sort of academic, um, a theoretical, uh, maybe metaphysical idea. He's saying Jesus suffered. So you can have the same strength he had. So let's take a look because he continues on then. We pick back up around verse 7 and he says, the end of all things is near. So since Christ, since Christ suffered, you can watch him, you can see him, you can draw from him. And then he says, the end of all things is near. I guess I want to pause right there because um, that's like (laughs) a shelter in place and COVID-19, the end of all things is near can be incredibly overwhelming. I just want to encourage you, Peter wrote this thousands of years ago, um, and for him, uh, it was a perspective. The end of all things is near. We know that all things didn't end, uh, but that view might be better than this perspective of sort of we are indestructible. So he says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. In verse nine, he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's become really easy to do lately because we can't give hospitality to anybody. But the day is going to come when we can open our doors up again and we can offer hospitality and the challenge is to do it without grumbling. And each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Before we continue, I just want to look at this. It's almost a disjointed list because Peter starts by saying, since Christ suffered in his body, look to him, see that he's not unlike you in understanding pain and even more so he is with you. And then he turns and almost gives us like ethic code. So here's how you live. But I think they're wed together on purpose. It's really important that these are together because If you're fixated on what you've lost, you're missing the opportunity right in front of you to bring hope and life and goodness to those around you who are also losing, who have also lost, who do suffer. Some just as you have, 
Some have yet to go there and some worse than you may ever. So Peter's challenge in seeing Christ is it aligns us and it sets our feet where we can say, so I've seen what Jesus has, how he suffered. And in my suffering, I can offer up prayer, love, hospitality, service. So let's think about this list real quick. I'm going to give you a moment to, uh, to pause and dialogue about it. Uh, if you're with others right now, uh, chat about it there. If you're watching alone, we invite you to engage in the chat conversation to just kind of share where you intersect with these ideas. Thanks for taking a moment and considering where you can be leaning in the days ahead. I I can't deny, I get excited when I think about regardless of our circumstances, uh, what it can look like if we choose to pray for, to love, to offer hospitality, to serve, to speak words of life over one another, the world that could be created, uh, the goodness that could come out of it, and the hope that could dwell in the middle of so much suffering. And you know, Peter, when he writes these words, if you read the whole book, you'll see he comes across as so strong and brave. He's filled with courage. And when we begin to look at this whole Exiles, First Peter series, many times we've, we've brought Peter back into it. Who is he? What is he like? Who's the person behind this writing that God used and inspired to bring us this text? This is a person who's full of passion. He's full of fear. He's courageous, and, but he denies Jesus. He, in, in, in a moment of just a day, he pulls out a sword and fends off people who are trying to arrest his rabbi, his good friend, Jesus. He pulls a sword out and he attacks them and Jesus tells him, stop. And then a short time after, people say, hey, Peter, you're one of those people who's with Jesus. And he's like, no, not me. And it's, a lot of you know the story. It's pretty popular. Three times. Three times and then a rooster crows. Peter denies Jesus. That's, that's this Peter. He's witnessed miracle after miracle with Jesus. He's, he's seen Jesus feed thousands and then walk on the water. Not only seen Jesus walk on the water, he's stepped out and he walks, well, briefly with Jesus in the middle of a storm, in the middle of waves that are swelling. 
And then often a, a moment later, he acts like he never saw any of it. So Peter can come across as strong and brave, but when he writes these words, he writes them from a place where his world has been turned upside down. You see, he thought Jesus was going to bring about freedom for his people. And he saw that same Jesus die a brutal death on the cross and it was over, but it wasn't because then he encountered this resurrected Jesus. Jesus came to him and his friends and he said, I am alive and I've overcome even death itself. And then that Peter rises up and he starts out this new story. And one of the first things that happens to him is he's telling everybody about Jesus and he's put in prison. He's aggressively arrested and he's put in prison. And there's that moment where he's got to know the rules have changed. Where I thought everything was going to be about like strength and power. Now it's about humility. It's about laying down. In the case of this little church that he's writing to, it's about suffering. Peter's first act in his new life was to be arrested. And it's most likely that he writes these letters from his final act, uh, which is to once again be imprisoned, awaiting his own execution. And so Peter writes these words, not as somebody who's unfamiliar with what is to come, unfamiliar with suffering. He, suffering. he writes these words as somebody who is about to suffer to the point of death. And so let's see, let's pick it up in verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange has happened to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Remember, Peter is a friend with Jesus. Peter watches Jesus die. Peter encounters the resurrected Jesus. Peter's thrown in prison. Peter's in prison again and about to lose his life. And he says, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. I don't, I don't know how he gets there. How do you get there? How do you get to this place where you're overjoyed in your suffering? And I want to hold that question really loosely. And I'm not going to ask it and ask you to talk about that. Um, because I, I just think in our time together, I want to pull back that language I almost want to get rid of that language because it feels offensive. Like I'm standing here saying, hey, rejoice in your suffering. Now, Peter is specifically saying, rejoice because you suffer in the name of Jesus. He sees a great honor in that. But he's not off for the rest of us. He's not off for those of us that just linger in pain. For those of us that aren't sure where our help is going to come from. And so that word rejoice is offensive. It's an affront. And I would love to take it out and be like, hey, it doesn't like it's, it's more like when you suffer, hold on. But Peter's going to push us a little further. And he's going to say, don't just hold on, but rejoice. Would you just sit in that? That is an alternative reality. And maybe it's a rare reality that the world needs to see more of. 
It's definitely an alternative reality. And I don't know anyone who could really speak about this idea of suffering and how we walk through it uh, than, than Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl is a, was a psychologist, a Holocaust survivor. He spent months in Nazi internment camps and experienced some of the most horrific suffering um, that, that anyone will ever encounter on the face of this earth. And Frankl wrote about his experiences. He wasn't a follower of Christ, um, but he was an observer of people. And he saw that there were four ways. He observed there were four ways people suffered. And I think there's something between what Peter says and how Viktor Frankl talks about it. Uh, The thing was, he concluded that there's really no one response that actually sustains a person when they suffer. It's that meaning is the key to survival. Finding meaning and purpose out of your suffering. And so I want to share those four ways with you. The first is Frankel observed that people became brutal, that even the kindest people would sort of take on this new aggressive violence. They often became like their oppressors and they put their hope in fighting back. There's a second group that just gave up hope. Even the most optimistic, even the ones who thought for sure the war was going to end, they would look forward to that day And when that day came and the war didn't end, they gave up hope in the future. And Frankel writes about when that hope was given up, their bodies gave out. It was almost like hope was what kept them alive. There's a third group Frankel talks about. He says they held on. They survived on the hopes that when it was all over, they were going to get their lives back. And I do want to just pause a moment and speak to us on two realities. Um, I think we're probably all holding on to, we're going to get our lives back. We're going to get our lives back when this shelter in place is over. When, uh, that's misplaced hope, though. Yeah, I think it's likely. Uh, some of us have suffered much less than others. I, um, we're not all in the same boat. Even in our own city here in Redwood City, you don't have to go too far to see lines of cars looking to just get a meal. And I haven't suffered in that way. Um, but I think... All of us in this peninsula could put our hope in someday life's going to come back to normal. All of us watching this wherever we are in the world could put our hope someday life's going to come back to normal. And Frankel says the problem is unless life comes back to normal, unless the past is restored, hope is lost and the suffering is overwhelming. He saw that a lot as people thought they'd get their lives back once the war was over, but their wealth their livelihood, everything that had marked their lives before they were imprisoned was gone. And that group was a group that battled suicide and depression. They can never quite recover their living. And then there's a fourth type. And Frankel says, this is a group that kind of held on. He calls it their inner liberty. But their inner liberty was basically that they put their hope in something greater than their circumstances or what could become of them. They had a living hope. It transcended they were, the environment they were in. And that's the hope Peter's talking about. The hope Peter's talking about is, friends, we could be in the midst of the deepest, darkest, unescapable season or moment in our lives. And it could literally be death itself or it could feel like death or feel like death would be even better. Well, when we're there, there's only one way that we can find hope in that darkness And it's that there's got to be something that transcends this. And that's what Peter speaks to. 
We're going to end talking about that, but I want to put those questions to you real quick. Uh, There are four ways Frankel talks about. They're going to be on the screen. Spend a few moments. Um, Which one have you leaned into the most in your life? Well, amongst other things that Peter talks about in this chapter, he really kind of bookends it with, uh, hey, friends, you're, you're suffering because of your love for Jesus, and there's a way through. Uh, but like I said when we started, I think that all suffering um, is a common experience, regardless of how it comes upon us. Uh, and Peter says these words. It's earlier on in the passage in the, in the book of First Peter, but he says, He says, you know, you're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you are God's special possession. You're God's special possession. You were once not his people, now you are. And that really is like the foundation that he builds his whole argument off of. God's with you, he sees you, he loves you, you're his special possession, you're his people. And that's an invitation to all of us. That's an invitation to everybody watching right now that our suffering can be brought close to Jesus and we'll discover that he's been with us. And we look at him and we'll say, why? And he said, puts his arm around us and says, I've been with you the whole time. You are my special possession. And this is not the final thing. It's just the next to last thing. When it's the final thing, all the suffering is gone and there's hope. And that's the promise of Jesus. I want to invite you as we close our time, put a simple prayer up on the screen. And we just want to bring this prayer uh, to our community weekly. And it's a way to pause and reflect on how Jesus can be with us in all things. So if you'd like to put your trust in the midst of your circumstances in Jesus, If you have been suffering and you need to acknowledge that he can be with you. If you just popped in this morning and you're like, I I felt like I should click on this link and here I am. And we're talking about what I want to invite all of us, wherever we are to just pause for a moment and consider that this prayer can be a way to point us to what matters most. Would you pray? I'm going to pray and you can join me if you'd like where you are. But Lord, 
I acknowledge that I am not good at submitting to you, my God, or others because of my sinful nature. And I believe in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection power for me, and I commit to ask the Holy Spirit to guide my words and actions. Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning, and we hope you'll continue the conversation throughout the week. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.